We're good to go. We've got fire in the boiler. Alhamdulillah. My name is Yusuf Estes, and I begin with the name of Allah, and I ask for His guidance in what I say, and I ask for Him to protect me from the evil of my sins while I speak. They introduced me and mentioned something about prisons and palaces. I've been in both palaces are better sometimes. But I can't let the opportunity go by without mentioning that one of my teachers and someone I love very, very much came up here today to be with us. And he also has been working in the prisons for a long time. And I know he wasn't on our schedule or anything, but Omar Sacker's with us. Just sitting around Come on. Come on. He's my man. He was the imam of our masjid when I was first in San Antonio as a Muslim. And was very patient when I had a lot of crazy questions. I still have a lot of crazy questions. <laughs> but it's good for you to be here with us today. He's now working with the Texas Department of Corrections in the prison uh, system. And has you used to have 23 units. How many you got now? Same 23. Okay, well I didn't forget that. Did what I wanted to do today really was to talk about tomorrow. When we talk about Islam and we talk about tomorrow, obviously we're, we want to know what's the future of what's going to happen. Muslims don't believe they know the future. We have predictions and prophecies just like other religions have. But we don't claim to know when the last day is, and that's not the purpose of what we're going to talk about. What we want to do is to understand what Islam is and where we're going with it and hope for a better tomorrow. And so that's why we have this little presentation. The first time I tried to use it was last night. And it came out pretty good, except that I can't talk fast enough. I'm from Texas, and we just don't talk fast. But I'm thinking seriously about getting some of the brothers from New York to do it. Because they'll be able to do it and sit down and it'll still be running, you know. So we're going to kick it off and uh, going to try to, to narrate this little presentation, which I don't even see up there now. Oh, where's Reese? You want to kick it off and we'll see what happens? On my mark, get set. Go. Okay. You should drop the house lights and, and get your popcorn out and we'll begin the movie. Okay, um, it's already rolling, and I guess that means that we got a problem here. You're not supposed to be at that level. And I think how that comes is that uh, I knew there was something wrong with having mice in your computers. This is mice stuff, is that mouse or whatever they call it. Stop laughing at me. Don't laugh at me. Here we go. The window to knowledge. I don't know where I got that idea, but that sounded good. This is actually taken out of one of the airplanes that I was in. And by the way, they arrested me and threw me off the airplane for having a camera in there. Welcome to Islam Tomorrow. This is an opportunity for us to understand the world's fastest growing religion and the future of Islam today and tomorrow. I'm not going to mention the fact we licensed it to whammy. The purpose of our project is what? We want to present the true Islam, show the basic tenets, and explain Islam, and then introduce our Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, answer common questions, and try our best to remove misconceptions. 
That's Kuwait at night, by the way, in the background. Islam and Muslims, the questions and answers. These are some of the contents that we're going to endeavor to present to you today, which will begin with the Quran, Islam, Muslims, what they mean linguistically. The Muslims in America, what we mean by Allah, who Muhammad is, peace be upon him. Our beliefs and our actions, then talk about the mosque, the imam, some principles. Then we want to get into the issues of men and women and terrorism and jihad. We're looking at a picture of the Quran in the background, and now this will be the English translation plus or minus of the first chapter of Quran. With the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful, the compassionate, the praise be to Allah, Lord of the worlds, the most gracious, the most merciful, ruler on the day of judgment. You only do we worship, and you only do we ask for guidance. Guide us to the straight way, the way of those who have your favor, and not the way of those who have your anger, nor those who go astray. That's the first chapter out of the Quran. What is Islam anyway? What's Islam mean? Does it mean peace? Does Islam allow terrorism? We need to bring light to the subject. And so we do. That was a little bit later in Kuwait, same place. Islam is Arabic. It's a verb and a noun. First of all, the verb comes from sim or salama. It means submission, surrender, obedience, and peace and purity to Allah. But as a noun, it means the religion that came with Muhammad over 1,400 years ago. What does Muslim mean? Who are they? Who are the Muslims? What do they want? We need more light. The word Muslim comes from the word Islam. It means somebody who Islams. We put mu as a suffix instead of er as a, a uh, mu as a prefix rather than mu as a suffix. Talk, talker, or Islam, mu Islam. Anybody who Islams is a Muslim. Told you it was going to be fast, by the way. This is a little graph giving you what the population of Muslims in the world is 1.5 billion. The U.S. has got about 7 million. What's interesting about this is that really Arabs don't comprise the majority of Muslims. They, they're really only around 12%. 88% of the Muslims in the world are non-Arabs. We want to talk about the word Allah. What does that mean? Does it really mean God? Well, let's, in order to understand it, we have to go to the root and find the word Elah, which means in Arabic a thing that you worship or a God. But Allah means the one and only God. It's singular. You can't make it plural. And it has no gender. It's not a male nor female. So it means the one who is the only one to worship. All right. Now. What Islam teaches us about Allah is that He is one, He is unique, He's incomparable, He's God. He's the sole creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the ultimate in all of His names and attributes, all merciful, all knowing, etc. Incidentally, the Arabic Bible says the word Allah for Jews and Christians 17 times on page 1 in the book of Genesis. I have two. I have two of them, and that's the way it is. Islam teaches us that Allah is something and is not something. What is not? He's not like his creation in any way, shape, or form. He never was, will be in his creation. He is not like his creation. He is always an eternal, independent, 
and sustainable that exists. By the way, Arabs and Jews, Arab Jews and Arab Christians and Arab Muslims all use the same word, Allah. What are the sources of Islam? Well, the Quran and the Sunnah, and the Sunnah comes from Muhammad, but the Quran also came through Muhammad from Allah. What's the Quran? Take a look. It's not really physical. Quran is not something you can hold. It's not a book. Quran, the word Quran, is not man-made. It's not a creation. What it means is the recitation or that which is recited. It's the exact recitation from God's words to mankind through the angel Gabriel and then to Muhammad. And the Quran is having only one version. It was memorized entirely by Muhammad. Memorized by his companions entirely. Memorized by Muslims today entirely. And today over 9 million Muslims in the world are walking around having memorized the entire Quran. The Sunnah is the recorded sayings, actions, approvals of Muhammad, peace be upon him. And each record is called a Hadith. And the Hadiths are memorized by the same people who passed down the Quran. And that's how they were collected and how we know it today. Muhammad, peace be upon him. He believed in Jesus, the miracle birth in Revelation. He was called the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter, and the Counselor. He was born in 570 in the Christian era in Mecca. He descended from Abraham through Ishmael. He did miracles, prophecies, including the Quran. He confirmed the previous revelations and the previous prophets and what they taught. The beliefs in Islam include that Allah is one. The message is one. The book, the Quran, is one. There are six articles of faith and then five actions that we do. So we have faith and works. What's the faith? What do we believe? Well, as I said, six things. We believe in Allah. He's one. He has no partners. We believe in His angels, and they obey Allah always. They don't make any mistakes. We believe in His books, the Bible, the Gospel, the Quran. We believe in the prophets of Abraham, Jesus, and Muhammad. We believe in the day of judgment, the resurrection, and the divine decree is the sixth point that Allah knows what will happen before it happens. Now let's break it down in one by one. Allah. We believe in Allah that He is unique without partners, alone as creator and sustainer of all that exists. No, none can intercede with Him except by His permission. The angels, the second one that we believe in, they always obey Allah at all times. They're made from pure light. Angels include Jibril, Gabriel, Israfil, and Malcolmot, the angel of death. And they do not include the devil as a fallen angel. He's from another creation of Allah. He had free will. Now the books we believe in are all the books. And we'll just mention the Torah, the Old Testament, the commandments, the Psalms of David, the Injil or Evangel, Gospel, New Testament, Quran is the last of all the testaments of mankind. If you want a free Quran, by the way, you can write to us at islamdemar.com and follow the links for a free Quran. We believe in the messengers. What do we believe about them? All prophets, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Lot, Isaac, Ismael, Solomon, Jesus, Muhammad, and they brought the same message and they were very perfect in the way they delivered this. The day of judgment is the fifth Talking about the resurrection, the people will be brought back, and every person will be accountable for what he did. Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, all are going to be brought back and see what they did.
book of records of their good and bad deeds will be presented. Anybody did any good, they'll see it that day. Any evil, they'll see it that day. And no one will be worrying about what the other one did on that day. No one will carry the weight of others on that day, and no one will have the right of intercession on that day except as Allah wills. The divine decree, or fate, as some people call it, it means Allah already knows what's going to happen. He knew what would happen before He created. He knows the future, but we don't. His decree must happen, and it's good and evil. Allah is pure, He likes pure. He makes everything happen by His command, and no one can change their destiny except Allah. There are five actions. We must say out loud that we believe in Allah and His Messenger. That's the testimony of faith. We have to pray five times a day, pay the charity tax, fast the month of Ramadan, and perform the pilgrimage to Mecca called Hajj. Now let's break them down and look at what they mean. The first one that we mentioned was the Shahada. And what is that? That's the bearing witness of La ilaha illallah. I bear witness that there is no deity to worship except God alone and that Muhammad is his messenger. Whoever says this with sincerity is considered as a Muslim and entitled to full treatment as such. Whoever dies on this belief will enter paradise and it's light on the tongue but heavy on the scales on the day of judgment. The Salah is actually a ritualistic form of worship that we often call prayer, but it's distinct from anything that you have in English. It's a direct connection with Allah. It's reciting the Quran while we stand, bow, prostrate to Allah. We have du'a as something separate in prayer where we supplicate. Du'a or supplication can be made in the Salat. But the Salat is something inside, outside, any place you go. The Imam is the leader. And by the way, we have no priests or hierarchy like bishops or popes in Islam. The zakah is the purdu or charity tax for the needy and the orphans. And this is not based on income. It's based on your net worth. And for the wealthy, they pay 2.5% of what they have to the poor every year. There is no income tax. By the way, this is a very important principle of Islam and helps build the society. Ramadan. This is the fasting. The month of Ramadan is mentioned in the Quran. We're told to fast just as people below, before us were ordered to fast. And this means to stay away from food, drinks, and marital relations during daylight hours. If somebody's traveling or sick or have other problems, then they're excused and there's a way to make it up. The Hajj or the pilgrimage to Mecca is something that's incumbent on every single Muslim to do once in their life when Allah makes a way for them and they're physically able to do it. These are the rituals actually that came from Prophet Abraham, peace be upon him. And the Hajj begins in the 12th month of the lunar calendar. And uh, as many as two and a half to three million people at a time gather for that every year. I want to talk about some concepts in Islam. I want to talk about truth and justice. These are words thrown around a lot, by the way. And equality. Truth, justice, and equality. And finally, patience. And I hope everybody here has got patience while they listen to me narrate this thing. The truth. What do we know about truth? 
We've been told in the Quran, always speak a word that is true. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, a liar is not from us. He's not a believer. So that's an important aspect of Islam. If you want to lie, you've got to find another religion. Don't worry, there's plenty out there. Justice. Oh, believers, stand firm for justice. That went too fast for me. It's in the Quran. You can read it later. Even if it's against yourself or your family. Equality in Islam. This is in the 49th chapter of the Quran. Oh, mankind, Allah has created you from a single man and a female and set you up as nations and tribes, made you different so you recognize each other. The noblest among you with the law is the one who performs his duty, God-fearing. And barely Allah is all-knowing and aware of what you do. Chapter 49, verse 13. Called Circle Hijrat. Here we go, patience, also steadfast. Surely Allah is with the patient. That's in the Quran. Inna Allaha ma'asabarim. Successful are those who encourage each other to be steadfast and patient. The Prophet, peace be upon him, gave advice to someone one time. He said, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. That's the only advice he gave me too, by the way. <laughs> Good advice. I want to talk now about rights in Islam. The rights of the family. Now, by the way, there's more rights than this. I'm picking out the ones that people like to talk about right now. Rights of family, rights of neighbors, the rights of the community, the rights of other humans, the rights of animals, and the rights of plants. Uh, think about it. We've got people out there today who think they come up with something new. Conservationists. They don't know 1,400 years ago there was somebody calling for this long before the buffalo were even being destroyed by certain white groups. I'm white, I can say that. Family. It's the foundation of society. That makes sense. Without a family, how are you going to get any people? Family stability promotes peace and security. Parents and grandparents are the most respected. Now think about this. And that's after the belief, of course, in Allah. And marriage is taught to us to be at least half of our religion. Get married, boy. And having children is highly encouraged. Divorce is permitted in Islam, but it's not encouraged. But it doesn't make you a blasphemous sinner that you're going to go to hell for either, forever either. Nice balance. How about your neighbors? Regardless of their religion, he's not a believer who fills his stomach at night and his neighbor stays empty. And whoever's a believer is responsible for his whole neighborhood. A neighbor is safe from the hand and tongue of the believer. All of these things were taught to us by Muhammad 1,400 years ago. Peace be upon him. What does that say? Concepts in Islam. Thank you. Needed English translation from Texan. Mankind is one kind. All people are created equal. Original innocence at birth, not original sin. 
oneness of message and messengers, no forced conversion in religion, moderation of church and state, a complete way of life, a religion, a religion, a government uh, as a complete way of life all at once. This is the concept. Now that one stayed up long enough. I could have talked a little bit. About it. Some of these are faster than others. You notice that? Zap in, zap out. Now we're going to talk about what? Women. Mm. This is the fastest part. I can't handle this. Islam gives the highest respect to women in society. Men and women are equal before God. Women are not blamed for the original sin. Suffering during pregnancy and childhood is not a punishment. Muslim women cover their heads in scarves called hijab. Rules for modest dress apply to women and men equally. Entitled to education, owning businesses, inheritance work, and all other rights, including the right to vote over 1,400 years ago. Didn't have to do women's suffrage. I'm just touching on these. Obviously, you want to know more. That's why we want you to go to the website, Islam Tomorrow, and pick it up in detail. Again, talking about women, Islam is very clear in encouraging us to have the ultimate respect and honor for them, starting with our mothers and uh, going right on down the line to our wives and our, our daughters. We want to talk about Islam and other faiths. Christians and Jews are highly respected. Islam orders justice for non-Muslims. Islamic State protects all the non-Muslims. And Islamic society gives charity to them. Here's a good one. Big old red letters. Islam versus terrorism. By the way, it happens to be forbidden in Islam at all times. Because Islam, remember, is about submission and peace with God. So terrorists are actually enemies of Islam. Suicide is forbidden in Islam. And killing innocent people is the same as if you killed the whole world. This is forbidden always. Let's talk about a fact. Islam declared the first war against terrorism over 1,400 years ago. It's called jihad. What's jihad? Jihad actually is struggling or striving for something, fighting against evil. The first level is to fight against the evil inside of yourself. The second one is the evils in the society. And the third we're going to mention here is on the battlefields where you have to come up against evil enemies. The valid reasons for jihad are self-defense and defense of others, removal of oppression and persecution, and to stop human tyranny and aggression and to fight all forms of evil and terrorism. What's the rules? First, you have to offer your enemies 
the opportunity to accept Islamic society. Otherwise, they can live peacefully with us. Or else, if they won't, they want to continue the evil, then you can fight in the battlefields against them. But the etiquettes are, you have to seek peace first before any war. You have to respect all treaties at all times. Any war is declared openly and not vigilante. We have to spare and protect all the innocents. Children, women, and elderly are protected during the war, enemy or otherwise. The orders of jihad never kill innocent people, never injure prisoners of war, never kill animals, never destroy crops, never destroy the infrastructures, never mutilate bodies of enemies. All prisoners are given fair treatment. Women and children are protected from harm. Always bury all dead with respect. 1,400 years before the Geneva Convention. In writing. Fact. Jihad is a war against terrorism. So put it in perspective. Now let's talk about Muslims in America. I should say America because I'm from Texas. You don't pronounce it. 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed over here from what was Muslim Spain. His navigator happened to be a Muslim by the name of Muhammad. That's who brought him over here. 1600s, the African Muslims were brought here in America as slaves. They were Muslims from Africa. 1800s, the immigrant Muslims started arriving to the States. 1900s, first mosque in America. America. And 1990, to date, till now, Islam happens to be the fastest growing religion in the United States. Muslim communities are noted for what? This is from police statistics. Most peaceful in the U.S. Lower incidence of alcohol and drug abuse. Lower family abuse, the lower sexual crimes, higher education, and more of the Muslims are professionals, doctors, engineers, and business owners. And by the way, it's much better in Muslim countries. We're at our worst over here. Talk about the mosque, the imam. The mosque is just a place to worship. It is to the Muslims like the, the Christian church or the synagogue of the Jews. The most sacred happens to be in Mecca and then Medina and then Jerusalem. All Muslims pray the Friday prayers in congregation. There are more than 1,600 masjids in America. The imam is a religious community leader who leads the prayer and leads the Muslims in their faith. Hey, here's a picture, by the way, of the sacred mosque at Mecca. That's the Kaaba or the cube and the, that little black thing there in the center. This is the Medina Masjid where the Prophet, peace be upon him, was. Now, at his time, of course, it didn't look like this. Now, this is Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. We talk about Muslims in the U.S. We happen to have lost a lot of people, too, by the way. On, December, on September 11th, 500 of, of the 2,800 that died happened to be Muslims. The first widow of the World Trade Center disaster was uh, that gave birth was a Muslim woman. Over $10 million was donated immediately by Muslims, and Muslims donated blood and services for our doctors and nurses who were there on the spot at the time, as well as firemen and police, too. The point here we're saying is everybody's lost something. We've all lost a lot. So why do we want to continue to lose more? That doesn't really make sense. Okay, here comes a commercial. Bottom line, make a note of my email if you want to write to me. Also, our website, you want to note it, islamdemar.com. 
Our other website, todayislam.com, coincidentally was destroyed on September 11th this past week. That's all right. We've got another one. Learn more about Islam by visiting our website. And while you're there, ask for a free Quran. So this is a part of the Watch and Learn series. And it's a presentation in the Islam Media Foundation. And that's at the end. Hey. Almost made it. Okay, one of the things now that we need to qualify real quick, by the way, is that it's not right for me to make these statements and not bring something else. Because Muslims are committed to truth. It's not just that we can't lie, we also have to tell the truth. Omission of a fact is the same as a lie to a Muslim. Uh, so now I'm going to bring some facts. Facts are, Muslims are being accused of a lot of the things that I just said were the opposite. So how do we deal with that? It's a good question. When you look in the newspaper and it's tell you that Islam oppresses women, Islam forces people into their religion, tells you that Islam is terrorism and tells you the Quran is calling for us to kill Jews and Christians. So it's fair to bring the other side of it. What happens is that there is something called a religion and then there's something called people who claim to follow it. Is that true or false? And when a religion gets blamed for what the people do, now it's time to look at the doctrine and see if there's any justification for what they do. And I'm going to take another example because maybe this subject's a little too hot for you. Maybe you don't want to deal with it because maybe some of us are prejudiced. Maybe some Muslims are a little too prejudiced to deal with it. Maybe some non-Muslims are too prejudiced. So we'll take a separate issue. Let's go to Oklahoma. Let's go back to Oklahoma and talk about the federal building. Now, Muslims were blamed instantly for the, what happened to the federal building. 93, wasn't it? But then it turned out, oh, and by the way, the top expert on terrorism said he was positive it was Muslims, and they were Arabs, and they could tell by their dress, and their car was heading right to Mexico. Now, in some places in the world where I go, they say, oh, well, maybe that's true. But those of you who live here in Texas, or anybody that lives in Oklahoma knows that's a crock. Why? Have you ever been to Oklahoma City? There isn't anything that points to Mexico because everything's east and west and north and south. And I-35 comes straight south out of Oklahoma City. And where does it go? It goes to Denton and splits. One side goes to Fort Worth and the other side goes to Dallas. Then down at Waco, just above Waco, at uh, Hill, Hill what? Hillsboro. They come back together. And then it goes straight on down. San Antonio. How did they know from there that these guys are going to Mexico? Huh? That's a pretty good one, isn't it? Then all of a sudden, they shut down the borders and they're grabbing Muslims and a dear friend of mine, the one that helped me come to Islam, happened to be crossing the border that day. He has the unfortunate, if you want to think about it that way, 
circumstance to be named Muhammad. For us, well, that's great. But on that day, it didn't work. Muhammad crossing the border. Wow! And his last name? Abdurrahman. Those of you who remember Sheikh Omar Abdurrahman, they said, we got, what, what, we got somebody here. Never mind that he was coming into the country. He's a very intelligent person, and he just told him flat out, he said, you know and I know that what you're doing is a big ruse. This has nothing to do with, with Muslims. It has to do with something much bigger. You know what they did? They tore up his papers and shoved him back across the border where he came from, back to Mexico. How about that? Oh, and then, by the way, it turns out that a fellow by the name of Timothy McVeigh did this thing. And, of course, everybody immediately got on the phone to the Pope and asked him to apologize, right? He was Catholic, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Yeah. So why didn't they get on the phone? Why didn't the Pope come over here and apologize to everybody? I'm sorry a Catholic did this. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then, why didn't anybody grab the Bible and look in and see if there's any justification for killing innocent people? And by the way, if you don't know any of the stories, I'd like to share some with you when we got more time, maybe not tonight. Anybody ever, any Christians? Do we have any Christians with us? Okay. There's a book called Genesis. Ever heard of it? Some of the Bibles have little highlight or topic things tell you what's in there. Ever heard of the rape of Dinah? Yeah. And how they solved that thing was that they told these guys, you can join our religion if you circumcise yourselves. And so they ran out to do it. And as soon as they did, when they couldn't move, couldn't move because of the circumcision, said they just went in there and slaughtered them all. But they got so happy about it, they decided to kill everybody. Except the women that they spared, that they could take home and rape for a while. That's in the Bible. But nobody blamed the Bible and nobody blamed the Pope. Just thought I'd mention that. I started with Genesis, and if you want to go through, we'll go through the whole thing, step by step. If you've got about three or four weeks, we can do a nice seminar on the subject. But what I'm going to tell you right now, that is not what we believe God revealed to the people a long time ago. Our book tells us in the Quran that the Almighty God really did reveal the Bible, that people came along later and gave their inspiration of it, their inspired word of man. God doesn't need me to inspire anything. If he wants anything done, he just said, be, and it is. That's belief in Islam. Our book tells us that I cannot be a Muslim if I don't believe that the original Bible came from God. Our book also tells us I cannot be a Muslim if I deny any of the prophethood of any of the prophets. I must believe in them. However, I'm not allowed to say bad things against them because they didn't commit major sins. Otherwise, they wouldn't be very good prophets, would they? How somebody's going to come to you and tell you what God wants you to do and at the same time, he's got a criminal record back here and he's on the lam from something, getting ready to knock over a 7-Eleven. And by the way, God wants you to pray. What? How do you say these things about these prophets? That's what the Bible said. It didn't say it. These are later versions that people put these things in there. You don't believe me, do you? 
I don't want you to. I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to go to Barnes and Noble. You believe in Barnes and Noble? I believe in them. They suck up about three or four hundred dollars of my money every month. I believe in that. I love books, though. I want to encourage you to uh, to read an author by the name of Friedman, Jewish, and an expert on the Bible, Old Testament. He has a book called Who Wrote the Bible? It's real hard to get one right now. It became popular real quick, and I understand they're not going to do any more of them. I don't know why. Maybe because they don't like what it says. They brought a lot of facts and stacked it right up. Some of you are really interested in religion, and that's good. I want you to be. I want you to study. I want you to pray. I want you to read the Bible. I don't have a problem with that. Because I know if God wants to guide, he can guide people with the yellow pages. That's up to him. It's not up to you or me. So, I mentioned these things, and it sounds a little caustic, maybe. A little tough, the way I brought it. Part of that's because of my personality, but also... At the same time, I, I, I don't like people that apologize. If you've got a problem, you know what I'm saying? Then being whatever you are, then don't be it anymore. If you're an alcoholic, deal with it and get over it. Get out of it. If you're a drug addict, get out of it. Don't stand there and hold your hand and cry with you. You're big. You know what you were doing when you got into it. When you smoke cigarettes, you say, I can't face the habit. When you started out, it wasn't a habit. You know why you smoked a cigarette? I'm going to tell you why. Because you said, I want to be cool. I want to look like I'm grown up. Look at me. I'm big. you big. I just came down from, uh, where were we? New Mexico. Somewhere along the way, I saw a road sign talking about chewing tobacco. You know, you get a plug. It's talking about getting a plug and chewing tobacco. It showed a guy with cancer. The whole bottom jaw was gone. Talking about what that plug will do for you. Whole bottom jaw gone. Show this picture. That's scary, man. When you can pick up a pack of cigarettes, it tells you right on there, causes cancer in laboratory mice and rats. And you're going, I'm not a rat. It's amazing. And you might say, well, what has that got to do with our subject about Islam? Islam teaches us as human beings to use our aqal, our brain. Use your brain. And don't let somebody, I'm going to clean this up a little bit. Don't let somebody spit on your boots and tell you it's raining. Somebody knew what I meant. You know, I was born in the night, but I wasn't born last night. I was a businessman in the great state of Texas for a lot of years. I made a lot of money. A lot of money. But I still liked the idea of God, and I tried to be a part-time preacher. My father was an ordained minister, and I had a lot of preacher friends. And I liked to support what they did. Not only that, but I was in the music business, and I sold a lot of pans and organs to their churches. Good business. But one day, I got really, really serious about it, and I said, you know what, I'm just, 
I'm just having fun. Let me get serious about my religion and put it number one and let my business be my hobby. And when I did, I found an amazing thing. I really didn't know anything about my religion. What I knew is what other preachers told me. But when I would go to check it out, <laughs> it wasn't like that. The Bible says, and then they tell you something, and, you're going, and they'll put thou in there and verily in there, and you're going, well, where is that preacher? I go up to him afterwards, because I know him. I said, where is so-and-so? He said, what? I said, you said so-and-so. He said, it's someone. I said, exactly. Can you give me, like, verse, scripture on this chapter and verse? Well, you don't think it says that? I said, I'm sure it does. I like to read, you know, and I just, well, I'll read your Bible then. I said, it's 1,800 pages. I'm going to find it. The one that sticks in my mind is the one preacher got up and made a whole sermon out of two words. He said, the Bible said Jesus wept. <laughs> he made his whole sermon off of that. I said, what is this? When I began to try to study it, I realized that there are too many different versions of the Bible, so I decided, let's go back to the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and find out what we can find out. Guess what? As soon as you start to do that, a whole new world opens up to you, and you go, uh-oh. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. How many of you heard of the Revised Standard Version of the Churches of Christ of 1953? What does it say on the index page, on the preface page? Go to the preface page. Bottom of the page, it's saying and extolling the great quality of the King James Bible. Its cadences, felicity, wonderful words that it uses. Then as you turn the page, at the top of the next page on the preface, real clear, it says, yet... The King James Bible has grave defects. Whoa. 53. 1953. 1957. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a, like, a wake and watchtower that they put out. Said over 50,000 errors in the Bible. This is a religious organization telling us there's something wrong with the Bible. So for me, I want to go find out what does it really say. And I kind of felt like maybe these guys that had the Revised Standard might be all, all right because they had said something nice about King James's Bible, but then on the next page they said, but it has some mistakes. But then they explained quickly that some of these are just style. And some of these are just words that are now antiquated, and they don't carry the same meaning. Even today, I'm going to tell you words in 1953 that might be in the Bible that wouldn't mean the same thing today. You know what I'm saying? And you can be happy about that, or you can be gay about it. But they also said that there were mistakes that didn't belong there. Verses that didn't belong there. But they said those were so small it doesn't really change the meaning. Additionally, in the same statement, they were telling us that there were alternate readings on older manuscripts that had been found since the time of 1611. Mm, that's interesting. And guess what? Since then they found more. 
But at that time, they were focusing on the text that they had found called the Wadi Qumran Scrolls, or what's more commonly known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. I heard Jimmy Swaggart in a tape say that not one shovel full of earth of the archaeologist's shovel has turned over even one little thing that could be different from the Bible. That's more or less his quote. Yet that's not what the Bible said in it. Because if you look at the bottom of every single page, starting on page 1 in Genesis and going back to the last chapter of Revelation, you find all these footnotes. Note, or the other reading could be, or another manuscript said, or the Hebrew doesn't say this, or actually this is from Kone Greek, or, 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 not in the original, not in the original. The original said alternate, 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 alternate. Excuse me, that sounds more than style. The very first words in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible said, in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, it, but it didn't finish the sentence. It had number one. Then you go down, number one. Or, when God began creating. Whoops. The first words, you didn't finish the sentence, you've already got an alternate reading. When God began creating happens to be what we believe as Muslims, because we don't believe there's a beginning nor an end to Allah. He is the beginning, he is the end, he is the alpha, he is the omega, and in the Arabic he's the owl of the akhra. Those are two of his 99 names. He's without beginning, without end. There is no beginning. It's against the doctrine of Islam to talk like that. And actually, if you read the Bible, it's against the doctrine of the Bible. That's probably why they had to make the little note. Oh, guess what? Somebody just picked it up and said, in the beginning. What they meant was when God began creating. So it's not a big deal. To a Muslim, if you change one letter of the Quran, it's a big deal. That's a capital offense. And capital doesn't mean Austin or Washington, D.C. It means to decapit somebody to take their head off. If there's an Islamic state which protects the religion, which we don't have, haven't had since 1923, then that state is responsible to protect and defend the Quran against alterations and additions. At the time of Imam Malik, those of you in Muslim know who I'm talking about, 1,300 years ago, he ruled that if anybody made their own, made up their own meanings of Quran just by reading it, that they in fact had left Islam. He also ruled that if anybody mistreated the Quran physically by taking one of the books, laying it down, kicking it, stomping it, you know, doing something foul with it, they could be killed on the spot without trial. I don't think that all the scholars agree with that, but that is what he said. This is doubt. It means we're really serious about the book. And how serious are we? Salman Rushdie. How many of you ever heard of him? He wrote a horrible thing against the Quran and Islam about what? 10, 15 years ago? 15? Anybody remember that? Salman Rushdie's satanic verses. Does anybody know what religion Mr. Rushdie was? 
He was a Muslim, non-Muslim, right? From India. He wrote this thing, and yet he grew up in a Muslim society. The one thing that they didn't put on all the news, by the way, was the fact that this was an internal problem. This was Muslims talking about Muslims. They tried to make it look like he was some other religion, and they had to protect him. Do you remember that? Maybe some of you are not old enough to remember it. The Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran, they're Shiite Muslims, put out a $5 million, started at one, and they upped it to $5 million for his head. And he's still living to this day, by the way. But the point was, look how serious the Muslims are. On one event, I was in Ohio, addressing a congregation there, a very large group in the university, actually. And there were a lot of Christians, and they wanted me to turn it into a debate. They had a, a Baptist minister with me. And I told them flat out, I don't have time for that. If you want a dialogue and you want to talk, you can talk and I can talk. There's no problem. But we're not going to debate an issue. I'm not going to take a position and you're going to take a position and then see which one of us is a better debate. Because first of all, I'm going to beat you. I will beat you in the ground on any debate you want to go or else I won't debate it. I'm not stupid. I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to know everything about you. And when you open your mouth, I'm going to do every little trick there is, every little golfer trick there is to make you miss your shot. Because that's what debate's for. But I don't have time for that. This is not about who's, which one of us is a better celebrity speaker. This is about what's truth and what's not. And I told him that flat out. I said, you are welcome to sit here. If you've got something to say, you're welcome to say it. But if you turn it into a debate, I'll beat you in the ground. Figuratively speaking, of course. I'm a lovable old guy. I'm a slam dancer to Santa Claus. <laughs> but anyhow. But seriously, you know what? He, he understood what I meant. He didn't do it. He was very nice. He said nice things. I said nice things. We were okay. At the end, though, some of the people started trying to throw stuff up, even at him or me, either one. So I just asked a question. I said, can I have a microphone? Yeah, okay. So let me ask a question. How many Christians we got with us? Okay, a bunch of them raised their hands. I said, when's the last time you heard a good old joke about Christmas? Some Christmas joke. That time of the year. Oh, yeah. A good old joke about Easter. <laughs> Some jokes about Jesus. You know the joke about Jesus? What is it? Yeah, okay. And the joke about the rabbi and the priest and the, and the joke about God when he... Uh, and the, oh, yeah, yeah. Jokes about the Bible. <laughs> You know how serious it is in Islam for you to tell a joke about any of those subjects? I'm talking about the subjects I mentioned. I'm not saying Quran now. Listen to me. We don't joke about the Bible. We do not joke about any of the prophets in the Bible. That's not funny to us. And in London, when they had that thing about running around half naked, I forget the name of the show, and they tried to portray Jesus as some kind of a, uh, a gay, as they call it, homosexual, it was the Muslims who got out in the streets and protested that play. Then the Christians joined them. Because we believe in Jesus, peace be upon him, as a real prophet, as a real miracle birth, as a sign from Almighty Allah, and that his mother was a virgin and she didn't need any husband hanging around named Joseph to cover her story. And we don't think it's funny at all when people make jokes about God. We consider that disbelief. We don't think it's funny at all to make jokes about the Quran, but I think you already understood that in my mention of Shannon Rushdie. 
We don't think it's funny to say anything about Muhammad وسلم, unless you say peace be upon him. We don't accept people to say his name. We don't like people to do that. Not because we consider him to be God. We don't. That's blasphemy. But because we consider to him to be a person who personally sacrificed this world and everything in it and stayed very austere through his entire life and suffered a lot just to be sure that this message stayed pure until this day to day. And now I need to mention to you what the message is. Because really that's the only reason I came. There's a God. He has a purpose for what he does. And he didn't create all this for his purpose. There's a book. It's still extant. You can go read it yourself. If you know the Arabic language, you can read it. If not, somebody can help you. But I'll help you with the most important part, inshallah, God willing, which is the verse that he said, the purpose of life. You know your purpose of life. You know why you're here. You know why you're walking on this earth. You know why you were created. Well, the answer's in the Quran. Chapter 51, verse 56. وَمَا خَلَقُ الْجِنُّ وَالْإِنسِ He says, I only created you guys to worship me alone without any partners. This is the commandment which is given in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy. It's mentioned over and over throughout the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 29. It's mentioned throughout the Quran over and over and over and throughout the sayings of Muhammad so many, many times. And by the way, it's also mentioned in all of our Friday speeches that we give every single sermon. There's nobody to worship except God alone. He has no partners. So if you agreed with that, then we're in agreement. Why bother to argue? If you think people do bad things in the name of religion, what was your first word? That's one of the first things people learned a long time ago. That if you can control a man's religion, you can control his mind, you can control his heart, and more important, you can control his faculties. And not from Adam until the last century did they come up with something that's as good as controlling religion. But in 1950, they came out, it came out before that, but in 1950, it started becoming real popular. And they like it even better than religion. It's called television. And trust me, they use it for the same purpose today. So if you walked in here with a problem about Islam, I suggest you consider what Islam really is. If you got a problem with Muslims, then I suggest that you take them aside to somebody and work it out. Because Muslims don't represent Islam when they're not acting according to its teachings. Make sense? Okay, I know we got some questions. I hope I got some answers. So I'd like for you, if you haven't done so already, to go ahead and write them down. And I hold the card up. Somebody will pass down through the aisles and pick up the card. And then we'll see what we can do with that. Oh, by the way, make them easy questions. And write pretty for me, because I can read reading, but I can't read writing.
Okay, we got the first question up. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Could you please explain more about the concept of evil? Thank you. And thank you for the question. I like that. The concept of evil in Islam is anything which Allah has ordered us not to do. Immediately is an evil thing. Anything he hates, anything he told us not to do, or even anything that he frowns on can be an evil act. Some evil acts are not punishable by big things, but still they don't, they don't rack up real good with you and Allah. For instance, some of the scholars consider that certain kinds of, like smoking a pipe or something like that's not really that bad. It's considered an evil, but to some people minor. To me, I don't like it at all. Can't stand the smell of it. So I'd rule it if I was doing that. Big time. But anyhow. So anything that's evil is things that you're forbidden to do. Islam is a whole long list. Not just Ten Commandments. But by the way, how many of you think that the Bible only has Ten Commandments? How many really believe that? It means you didn't read the book of Leviticus. You can't count them all. The line goes on and on and on and on. If you ever read the book of Leviticus, you're going, wow, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't, if you do that, you got to do this. It's big time. And these are called commandments. Why don't you ask me the concept of good? The concept of goodness, man, is when you please Allah and you worship Him alone. Why do Muslim women wear a scarf? Hijab. Why did I pick this question up next? That's what I'm asking myself. I've heard, by the way, you know where I get this the most? Not only in the universities. I'm surprised you get this. Because I usually get this in the mosque. Who asked me this? Muslim women. Are you sure we got to wear this thing? Did you say that in the Quran? My dear friend, Siraj Wahaj, he's an imam up in New York, Masjid al taqwa he was, he was telling us one time that he got a question like that. It came up and, and actually two of the women got in his face and American sisters, they said, where does it say in the Quran that you've got to wear hijab? And they didn't have a scarf or anything on. He, he thought about it for a minute. He said, I couldn't remember. He said, I know it's there, but I couldn't remember. He said, you know what I did? I just asked, by the way, do you pray? Do you pray five times a day? They said, no. He said, well, then, God's not really your first problem, is it? Good answer. Anyway, the job or covenant has to be understood in the light of common sense and reality, along with the fact that it is a commandment from Almighty God. One lady walked in one time when I was giving a talk, in the university, not college actually, and she just, I didn't know she was a professor. I didn't know that. I didn't know she was also uh, the professor of one of the boys in the NSA, the organizer. Or I probably wouldn't hit her like I did. Uh, I don't know if she passed the class after I got done. But she walked in, and just out of the blue, no, no writing anything down, just punched Why did they test last day? She pointed at the Muslim sisters and said that. And the sisters are looking at her like, wow. I said, what did you say? She repeated it. Why did they dress like that? I told you I can't help it. It's a personality defect, okay? So this is what I said. It's not Islam telling me. I can't help it. I said, well, why are you dressed like that? She said, what? I said, why are you dressed like that? I said, what do you mean? 
not wearing something different. I said, look at yourself. Your arms are covered all the way to your wrists and your legs are covered all the way to your ankles. You're wearing a long dress there. And it's covered all the way up to your neck like this. So, I said, well, I want to ask you, is there something wrong with the way they look according to your logic? Yes. No, that, that's not logical. I'm helping her. Say, okay. Well, according to your logic, how were you born? What were you wearing when you were born? Huh? Said, let me help you. You were nude. You were naked. You were in the butt. So if you want to go by logic, it's kind of illogical to put clothes on. Just take them off. Ugh. I said, I'm going to ask you again. Why are you dressed like that? She said, modesty. Why are you dressed like that? Same word. Modesty. But it's not modesty according to the trend. It's not modesty according to what the Paris designers tell us. It's modesty according to what God told you is modest. You're a Christian woman standing here dressed really nice, really, except for the covering. And you're accusing something that's in your own religion, telling you you can't even enter your place of worship unless you cover your head. It's in your book. Hello? She got nothing to say. She got red face and left before I got finished. The point is, if you look at the old pictures, anything of the pictures drawn before the 1700s and even after that, you'll find that all the religious women were wearing the covering. The nuns wore the covering, beautiful covering, just like hijab, until the 1960s. And then they start allowing, you can take this off, you can take that off, you can show a little of that, a little cheesecake over that. It's okay. Yeah. Now, if we got Catholics here, they're probably mad at me, okay? Don't be mad, because I heard this from the nuns themselves, okay? Same for the priest. I had another encounter like this. I got a question. Came to me, two girls down in Florida after a talk. Some people became Muslim, by the way. I was pretty happy. Because it made me feel like maybe what I'm doing is worthwhile. I sat down, and they came to me, and they said, would you go talk to two girls over there? You don't have to, because you're tired and everything. I said, no, if they want to know, I'll go sit over there. I sat down in a private area with two little girls, about 17, 19, something like that. I asked them, you know, a little question, like, where are you from? Where are you doing? They're going to college. I said, okay, that's good. How old are you? Both 19. Turned out they were 19. I said, okay. Well, what's your question? They said, we only have one. I said, okay, what is it? We want to know why, look at this, why you put that partition over there between the men and the women. You make the women stand back there behind that thing or sit right there. Why you didn't let them just mix in with the men? We want to know why. I said, that's the only question you have. You heard me talking about God. He is one. He has no partners. He put us here to worship him. Do you have no problem with that? I said, no. But you want to know about this. That's the only thing you want to know. I said, no. Do you mind if I ask you what religion you are? They said, we're Catholic. I said, good. Even better. Who are the best women in your church? The nuns. I said, that's good. That's good. You ever notice how they're dressed? 
He said, no, 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 that's not our question. That's not our question. Because they know where I'm going to go with that, right? I said, no, I'm just asking you about the nuns. They're dressed with this stuff. Do you know when they can take it off? They wear that thing 24-7 and left in a very secret, sacred place where they can't be seen. Then they can remove that in privacy. Now, the same holds true for our Muslim sisters. They do not have to wear this covering ever as long as they don't go out where strange men can look at them. You don't wear that in the house, do you? No way, right? Somebody go to your house, you're going to be wearing jeans, whatever, right? Tell the truth. Because that's what they do. I got three of them living in my house, my wife and two daughters. Or my wives and one daughter, I'm not sure. But anyway, no, just kidding. <laughs> that's another dopey thing. They get it. How come you can have four wives and a woman can only have one husband? Excuse me, ma'am, are you married? Yes. Did, would you like to have another one just like him? No. That wasn't the question. Duh. Amazing. All right, all right, all right. Back to the subject. So I asked the girls, I said, if you see that these women have to wear this, and you understand these women are wearing this for modesty, for their religion, we don't want them to wear it all the time. We want them to be comfortable. They can walk around anywhere. You see them sitting there. Hello. You notice they're sitting there? That's not a petition. But if they would like to stay and listen to a long-winded lecture by some people from Texas, then it's nice to have the petition that they can go behind and remove that and relax and kick back. That's what it's for. Plus, for a woman, like a man, they only have to be covered from here to here in the privacy of their own home. So if she's got a baby, she wants to nurse the baby, she can just bring out the fountain and give him a drink. But you can't do that in public, but you can do it behind that screen. And a lot of those women got babies. They said, well, we didn't know that. I said, well, there's a lot that I didn't know either. I had to wake up to the real religion myself. And all of us need to wake up to it before it's too late. But I ask you about the nuns for another reason, because I'm now going to ask you about something else. Who are the best men in your church? I said, who's better than the priest? Archpriest. Than the bishop. Than the cardinal. Than the pope. And nobody better than the pope on earth, is there? That's right. Divine decree can come right straight from the pope's office anytime. Is that true or false? Yes. Is it okay? By the way, while we're at it, can the nuns get married? No. Can the priest get married? No. Bishop, Pope, anybody? No way. I see. So they can't have any kids. Of course not. So they can't have any grandkids. What's your point? Can't have nieces. Can't have nephews. Not from their own marriage. Only from their own sisters or brothers. Isn't that right? I'm going to ask you a question. Why is it that millions of people that serve in your religion have to be celibate their whole entire life or they're considered to be sinners going to hell. Do you have any idea what that will do to a person? 
I asked that question before it ever happened, okay? I'm not trying to be cute. I'm telling you that's recorded of it because I had a tape about it right after it in Florida. I didn't know this was going to come out. But I'm saying that do you realize the damage you've done to somebody? You have put a petition between them and reality. Your religion has set up a covering away from being a human being. You cannot have normal urges. You cannot procreate. You cannot do what you were put on this earth to do. And what's bothering me is because you are asking me about why my religion is doing something when what you got in your own eye is a much bigger log than the speck that you think you're seeing in mine. Both religions use this terminology, by the way. Both of them ask the question. Islam and Christianity ask the question, why do you look to the speck in your neighbor's eye when you can't see the log or the tree in your own? And by the way, we don't think that there's anything wrong with women being covered up. Some women cover their faces, some don't. This is according to how they understand the verses in the Quran. We'll come to that now. There are two verses in the Quran, chapter 24, verse 31, and chapter 33, verse 59. That's where they're located. If you just want to do it academically, there they are. But if you want to have understanding, I'm going to advise you to consider something that it says in verse 31 of Surah on North 24. It says, Oh, tell the believing women to lower their gaze, to guard their private parts, and when they go out in the public, that they wear the kemar over the behind, meaning that they draw their veils down all the way down over their chest. That's why some women understand that to cover their face as well, because the way the verse is in the Quran. Others understand that they can show their face. For me, I could care less. They're doing their best. That's all that counts, isn't it? But what's good? The verse before it makes it clear what it's all about. Because in verse 30 of chapter 24, it says, Tell the believing men to lower their gaze, to guard their private parts. Yeah, and it gives them a little bit of a lecture there about what modesty is and how they're to behave, and this is part of our religion. It's telling them very clear how to look at things. Then, after the men have been warned, it's saying to the women, and by the way, they're probably not going to do what they're supposed to do, so we need you to do this. It's also mentioned when you go to chapter 33, Al-Hasab, the Confederates, is the name of it in English, and you look at it, it's a lot more clear when you use that context, because it says to tell her when she goes out or abroad or away from her home, meaning that she's out to the market, or she goes to the train station, something like that, then she needs to pull something over her in a buyer or a, a, a bigger covering to cover all the way down, make sure. This is a, like, a little bit stronger reference to the same subject. And look what it's telling her. That you'll be recognized as a believer. I want to go back to where I started, and then I'm going to get off of it. What I started out by telling you was something simple. That's in my eyes. <clears throat> what I said was that the religions before us had the same thing. The Jews, go look at the pictures. How did the Jews dress at the time of Jesus? 
the Christians, Catholics, Orthodox, Coptics, the Coptic Christian women in Egypt still wear the exact same. You can't tell them apart from the Muslims over there. I've been there. Want to see the pictures? I took a lot of pictures. I took a lot of, of film while I was there. Because I know people who say, I don't believe you. Well, good. But then maybe you're going to say, well, maybe you doctored the pictures up. You know, kind of like they doctored up the pictures of Osama bin Laden. Oh, I don't get into that. Anyway, what I'm saying, we have to think. We have to use our brains. Let's go to the next one. Big question. I promise I'm not going to do that again. I want to give you one on that one so you can get the idea that this is not something oppressing. And by the way, there are Muslim sisters who don't wear the hijab and we don't consider them non-believers. There are Muslim sisters who even run around wearing clothes that maybe you wouldn't even let your daughter wear. We consider it bad, we consider it evil, but we don't consider them a non-believer over that issue. So what influence has Islam on the Western world beginning from the Crusade to present day? That is the crucial presentation chart. Don't be shy. You can email me and I'll refer you to websites that have big stories on it, though. I'll offer you tapes that I've already done on the subject because it's a great subject. But uh, to be very candid, that has to be almost like a seminar because there's a huge amount. I, I do want to touch on a couple points. I'm sorry. I'm going to touch on a couple things. Who discovered America? Real quick, give me his name. Oh, come on, wake up, guys. You don't have a microphone, I do. Who? That's right. Very good. Confess. Get out of here. Who? <laughs> textbook. Textbook. What did the textbook say? Who discovered America? 1492. Sailed the ocean blue. Got here in October. But he didn't land in America. Why? Because it's October. His travel agent got him a good deal in the Bahamas. Sorry, couldn't resist it. Sorry. Okay. Who was his navigator? Uh-oh. Well, you saw the thing. <laughs> in fact, let me, let me share something with you. There's a place in Hawaii that clearly, clearly had Arabs there for a long, long time. Muslims. They used to call all Muslims Arabs. And it's okay by us. Why? Because our prophet told us, peace be upon him, anybody who speaks the Arabic language is considered an Arab. So it's no big deal. If you want to call me an Arab, go ahead. I don't think I look like one, <laughs> but it's okay. What I will tell you, though, there's a place on an island in the middle of the Pacific that became a state. What's the name of it? Is that Hawaii or Hawaii? Hawaii? Thank you. You're gulping. I know. Anyway, so he got that out of the way. What's the capital? Anybody know? Huh? What? Say it again. I just want to hear it real loud. Honolulu. Honolulu. What did I just say in Arabic? What did I just say? Pearls are here. Pearls are here. Pearl Harbor. Pearls are here. Place of pearls. Honolulu. That's Arabic. Whoops. Whoops. How'd that happen? Coincidence. I got another coincidence for you. In Dr. Ahmed Sakhar's book, he writes about these very things. It's called Face to Face. You gotta get the book. It's very interesting. It gives you so many details. 
This part of it is just one of many great things in his book, face to face. He's talking about when the two civilizations meet. And he's saying that in the year 1071, Muslims had already arrived in California. Wow. And check this out. Documented fact, there has been a globe in existence depicting the earth within 41 meters of its side. 41 meters is not very far. I can hear the wall. Hello? Think. This globe has a very crude shape drawn for America, South America, and the Central America, and doesn't give all of, like, Australia correctly. New Zealand's not in it. But it's a globe, and it's been in Al-Azhar University, the first and the longest extant university in Cairo, Egypt, for over a thousand years. Oops. Now, how'd that fall out of the history book? Got another book for you. Drink Barnes and Noble. You like this one? The Lies My Teacher Told Me. You got it already? Cool book. I've really read some of it. Helen Keller, do you read what happened to her? As soon as she said, wait a minute, this system over here sucks. They said, what do you expect from a blind and deaf lady? And they'd never give anything else about her again after that. She used to say that if I can overcome my problems, you can overcome yours, positive thinking, blah, blah, blah. But then when she found out women can't even vote, and then she found out what it is at these uh, factory stores where people commit their whole lives to work in a coal mine, and she went to one in Pennsylvania, she said, this is horrible. These people can't get out of this. They're slaves. And that's when they said, well, what do you expect from a lady that's deep and dumb? story. Read the book. Lies my teacher told me. Let's go to another one. We're running out of time and I'm having too much fun. You said that God, I like it when people start out like that. That means I'm You said <laughs> that God's angels always obey God, the Torah, that's the Old Testament, in Genesis, mentions Lucifer as an angel of life. Did only he fall, but he took several angels with him? Please explain. Ah, well, first of all, you brought the subject of the Bible up. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. I already told you, I'm your first supporter. If you want to say that the Bible came from God, I told you I'm with you. My book tells me that. But now, if you're going to pull that up, we got to go the other way. If you're going to tell me your Bible says something, I'm just going to ask you one question. One question. Where is it? What's on the coffee table? No, no. I'm asking you where the Bible is. I told you it's on the coffee table. Right over there. We'll dust it off. Take a read. Hold on. Open it up and start with the very first word. What does it say? In the beginning. Are those English words? Okay. So you're going to tell me God revealed the Bible in English? Because there was no English language until the Normans invaded the Saxons in the year 1066 A.D. Hello. It means no prophet, including Muhammad sallallahu could speak English. I need your book. You're quoting out of a book. They, I'm telling you, I went through this when I was preaching Christianity, and I said, listen, that's not the book. It's not in English. I want to see the book. They said, well, we have many copies of the, I said, the book. Where's the original book? There's something called the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate. I said, that must be the book. 
except I found out somebody named Jerome in the 4th century compiles this thing and it's so full of mistakes that they don't even consider it as a serious anything more than antiquity anymore. Where's the book? What language was it in? Jesus spoke Latin? Moses spoke Latin? Or did they speak Hebrew and Aramaic, the Semitic languages that Muhammad, peace be upon him, spoke? Because the Quran is extant. Over nine million human beings have memorized the entire book cover to cover in the original language. And 88% are not Arabs. Well, I just got the lights off. I don't care. Come back to another point. Come back to another point. I believe the real Bible. But I can't accept a translation of an interpretation of something with a question mark on it in the English language when I've got the original in the Arabic telling me that Lucifer's real name, by the way, is Iblis, we won't argue over that, was not an angel. But he was from the unseen. He was from the sprites or spirits. Our word spirit, sprites, come from the same thing. Or demons. You don't see them either. They're not fallen angels. He was not created out of light. He was created from a smokeless fire. Read the Quran. So there's nothing to explain. We know what he was. He was so good with Allah. He did so many things to please Allah. Allah elevated him up to pray alongside of angels. But then when he was ordered to bow down because Allah created Adam, our father, our grandfather, Adam, he refused. He refused. He said, I'll never bow down to him. I'm made from better substance than him. And his pride, because he wouldn't obey God, is what commanded him to hell. But he asked for a reprieve. He said, just let me have one thing. Let me take Adam and all of his descendants with me to hell. That's all I ask for. And I'll show you that they don't appreciate me. They, don't, they are not worthy of what you're saying. God said, go ahead. Take all the ones you can. But you'll never take the real believers. So if you, and I'm going to close with this, if you are a real believer, you can check it out real easy. I'm going to tell you something for sure. I can't play with you on this. You have a heart that belongs to you. God gave it to you. You have communication with me through your heart. And anytime, any place, anywhere, I don't care, you can ask God for his guidance. If you ask, you will receive. Tells us that from Muhammad. Tells us that in the if you seek the true knowledge, you'll find it. Tells us that in the Bible. Tells us that in Islam. And if you knock, it will be open to you. The thing that you don't know is that Allah gave us the answer to the questions in Islam. He wants you to ask. He wants you to seek. But in Islam, he gives you the thing that he didn't give before because Muhammad told us. He said God revealed something in the Quran that he never revealed in the other scriptures. One thing revealed in Quran, never revealed in any other scripture. Of course, everybody want to know what that is. He said it's in Surah Fatiha. Well, that's the first seven verses of the Quran. What's in there that he didn't ever reveal before? That's pretty easy. It says, in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful... All the praises to Allah, most gracious, most merciful, the ruler on the day of judgment, 
You only do we worship. You only do we turn to guidance. Guide us on the straight path. And that's the verse. Guide us on your straight path. The path of those that have your favor, not the path of those who have your anger, and not the path of those that are lost. Amen. We always say that in our prayer. I don't have to say it now, but I'm just, you know, as we say in the that. Anyhow, that's something for you to think about. You've got a heart. All you got to do is check me out. Find out if I know what I'm talking about. Because that's what I did 11 years ago. That's what Imam Omar did. That's what, where's Khalil? Hiding in the back. Okay, that's what he just told me he did in 1995. And I heard this story from hundreds of women all over the Netherlands, and they all said the same thing. And everybody that came to Islam said the same thing when we said, why'd you come to Islam? How'd you come to Islam? And they all said exactly the same words because Allah guided me. Hello. And may Allah guide you and all your loved ones and guide us to all truth for all time. Go check it out. In privacy, ask for that. Guide me, Lord. Thank you very much for your patience. If I hurt anybody's feelings, it was not my intention. I merely tried to keep you entertained, enjoy the program, try to remember some of it when you get home. And uh, by the way, don't try to beat me up on the way out. Chronicle of Homo Bahamdi, a shadow of the